0: A lot of people journal and write for themselves, and that's extremely healing and wonderful work, and I'm all for it. But if you're going to publish and enter the public sphere, you really should understand what's out there and what arena you are entering. And a lot of times, the biggest mistake that first-time self-publishers make is they just don't make a plan. And it saves you a whole lot of time. And truthfully, by doing that, you're going to save money.
1: This is the Angles of Latitude podcast, session number one fifty-seven, with book coach and publishing consultant Lindsay Whiting.
2: This is Squadron Leader confirming hostels inbound. There for battle. What you're about to hear is the integration
1: of life. Clarity is power. If you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. Liberty, we choose to go to the moon, it's happening, and all things geek, yeah, I'm not sure I know how to answer that, Uh, you got a badass over here,
2: welcome to the Angles of Latitude podcast.
1: everyone, thank you for joining us for this session of the Angles of Latitude podcast. I'm your host, JC Preston, and with me is the host of her new podcast, Audacious Entrepreneur on the Move, Veronica Kieran. If this is the first time you're listening in, this is the show where we bring you life lessons or a message from successful entrepreneurs, experts, athletes, and artists. And it's our hope that it will help you find and execute your own personal mission and live a lifestyle that you're proud of. You know, when it comes to writing nonfiction, there's a tons of advice out there, and much of it comes from people who have thrown a book or two up on Amazon. And because they were able to become a, an Amazon bestseller, that makes them a pro at making books. And if that's what you're wanting to do with your book, then by all means, go for it. But if you're really wanting to make an impact with your writing, then you're going to need another kind of help. Uh, Today, we'll be learning from someone who's been an empowering writer for a good majority of her career. And in our conversation with Lindsay today, we learn why she has the perfect background of me and a book coach, what made her decide to help others with her knowledge, and what some of the common mistakes are for new writers and how to fix them. But before we get into that, I want to remind you guys about Fizzle. And in today's interview, you're going to be hearing a story about achieving what I'd call natural success. And to me, natural success is when you're able to make yourself successful from the work that you'd naturally do if you got paid for it. And people who follow their personal mission and actually make an income from doing it, again, these are natural successes. And one of the reasons I've been a fan of Fizzle for the last couple of years is that they're one of the few places that help new entrepreneurs use their knowledge and expertise to develop a business to support themselves. In fact, it's kind of like installing a GPS system for where you're going. With Fizzle, you'll always know where you're at in your journey and profiting off your own expertise. And not only do they have some pretty great courses, but their community and coaching is exactly what new entrepreneurs need. Again, check it out today. You can do so for free at newinceptions.com slash Fizzle. That's newinceptions.com slash F-I-Z-Z-L-E. All right, before we get started, remember to subscribe to the show on whichever platform you're listening on. And of course, we always want to hear from you guys. So shoot Veronica Harrison or me an email at newinceptions.com with any current issues that you're going through while you're building and scaling your business. Again, that's newinceptions.com. Show notes and show note extras of the show can be found at newinceptions.com 157 And As usual, I'll be on at the end of the show to fill you in on anything we might have missed hey everyone welcome back to the show this is jc preston with me today is the author of stories of elders veronica kieran veronica how you doing
3: hey jc what's up
1: not much not much just uh, had an awesome local event here uh, for amplify indie and if i remember correctly you had an awesome launch of your film actually yeah
3: yeah yeah i got to kind of relive my own book uh, funding launch, uh, you know, four years later, I'm executive producing this film and, uh, we did pretty much the same thing on, uh, at the same location. And, um, within two hours, we had two grand raised and now this morning there's three grand. So Ooh. it works well, launch parties work for crowdfunding. And, um, I'm super excited to be working on a project that's documenting what's happening in Venezuela. So, um, super exciting stuff over here.
1: Yes. Yes. And there needs to be more awareness of what's going on down there for sure. Because yeah, I'll,
3: the media doesn't have like, they just, they kind of plastered across the stream. We say, oh, something happened. And then that's all we know. So definitely, yeah. definitely yeah, going to be like, what's,
1: that. What's, what's that all about exactly? What so, is
3: even happening? Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, speaking of doing work and creating work and, and all kinds of things, you know, a lot of people have problems actually starting, you know, to do things like that. They don't even know where to start. So, you, you know, a book, right. videos, movies, films, all these different things. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, it, it can be held to the fact that they're just not being accountable. And in fact, that's where our guest work comes in today. She's actually a book coach who specializes in helping self publishers uh, plan, mm-hmm. pair, publish, and promote their own nonfiction books. Her expertise comes from her career in journalism. Uh, print, print production, and as an entrepreneurial publisher, she gives a very uh, solid understanding of the publishing process. Today, we're talking with Lindsay Whiting, who can be found at selfpublisherbookplan.com. Lindsay, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
0: Uh, fine, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Pleasure having you on. So a lot of different things that we can go into there. Um, I know that you're somewhat of a multi-talented artist. And uh, just lots of things, nicks and crannies that we could probably go into your your career. So let me start with this. You know, if I understand correctly, did you go to school for journalism?
0: Yes, I actually went to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Okay, And it was kind of an interesting program because I didn't just major in journalism it was an interdisciplinary study called bdic bachelor's degree with individual concentration you could combine majors and combine different uh elements and i combined journalism with women's studies oh nice in-
1: interesting what was what was the pull to to go into the journalism i mean was that something that you always wanted to do or
0: yeah it it was kind of something i was always I always loved, from a very young age, I loved reading and writing. It was just something that came naturally that I enjoyed. So mm. when I went in my first year at school, I just, you know, when you're a freshman, you just pick something and see what happens. And I decided to choose English, okay, which was very general and very, yeah you know, big and probably would lead to nothing, but... That's when I found the BDIC program because I really wanted to focus. And so as I went along, I discovered that there was a way that I could sort of knit together my own major and do it my own way.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really cool.
1: Well, it is. I mean, one of the things that I think a lot of people, you know, miss out on is that, do I know on this situation, is that, yeah, I had an idea of what I wanted to go into when I was first at college. But after going through it and having my first couple of internships, I had no inkling to continue on that path, and so that's when I <laughs> went straight into uh, into getting my master's because I I just didn't want to be sitting behind a, a desk all the time and and drafting stuff. You know, it just wasn't my cup of tea. So that's that's awesome yeah. that you were able to get into a into a major that allowed you to, you know, expand based on your own interests and how you were developing.
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a great program. It was, it it's like 45 years old now. Mm -hmm. I think it was one of the first in the country. I mean, UMass Amherst in the seventies was extremely progressive and they had Afro-American studies and women's studies. I think UMass was the first university in the country to have a bachelor's in women's studies I was in it so early that they didn't even have that yet. (laughs) So, but they've progressed and they have a, they have the degree now. You can actually get a bachelor's in women's studies there now and probably many other schools around the country.
1: He graduated. He had a degree in journalism or BA and what?
0: Women's studies and journalism.
1: Women's studies and journalism. I want to make sure that I called it the right thing. Um, (laughs) It's a
3: great combination.
1: It is. It is. Did you actually get to use that degree as soon as you got out?
3: Um,
0: I think I've actually used it my whole life because what it, what putting the major together and getting a, a mentor at the university and everything else did for me was it really made me, you know, in, it gave me the initiative for mm. my own education, for my own life. It kind of planted something in me that said, don't you're you're not gonna just jump into a box and fit into somebody else's box
3: mm-hmm. right you
0: know if you're if you're eighteen and nineteen years old and you're creating your own major with the help of a faculty advisor, it's a really big lesson in life <laughs> <laughs> and I, it followed me all of my it's followed me all of my days. and uh, the other thing that was a big deal at the university at the time was the college paper. Was the largest university daily in New England, oh. and it was you know a real paper. We had international, national, and local news, and Fantastic. it was a daily. It was a daily. It was thirty-two pages, twenty-six to thirty-two pages every day, and that working there was a great experience. And one of the things that I learned there was how to write on deadline. Mm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That is a that's also something that has been a gift. My whole life. Yeah, I'll bet. To be able to write on <laughs> right. I highly recommend anybody to work with a daily, weekly, or whatever, uh, whatever it is. Even if you just blog or post things, if you discipline yourself and learn how to write on deadline, you can conquer worlds. Hmm.
1: Is that how you made the leap into publishing? Because you actually were learning about it firsthand. In college before you graduated? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's part of it. I uh, also did an internship in Boston where I worked on a monthly newspaper. And so between my newspaper experience and my degree, my first job out of school, I was looking for a journalism job or a writing job. Mm-hmm. But those are, those are thin on the ground. Those are kind of hard to find, and they're probably going to get somebody who's got more experience. But I was looking everywhere, and I ended up at a small alternative newspaper. It was actually the alternative to the alternative, Hmm. and it was called Fresh Ink. And I don't think anybody on the paper was over 25 years old. (laughs) And uh, we put out, you know, alternative news. It was sort of like a bohemian-type newspaper, liberal Liberal-minded, you know, skewering and writing about all the things that we thought were troublesome in the world, and we were just a bunch of young people thinking thinking we could set it all on fire. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. Uh, I did a little bit of writing there, but actually, what happened is I got into production at that newspaper because they had a need. And then what happened is I found out I like making stuff. It's really a thrill to take an idea. From out of the ethers, mm-hmm. kind of package it, put it into something, and and, and then make a newspaper, a book, uh, a magazine, or even just a yeah. marketing piece.
3: Turn an idea into something tangible.
0: Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. exciting. It's, it, there's a lot of creativity in that. It's very satisfying.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So I fell into production and, and kind of, you know, never really got got out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is that the the biggest takeaway that you had during your time working in the the commercial publishing?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I learned the ins and outs of production, Uh, and it's like making sausage. You really don't want to see it, (laughs) 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 and you'd rather just consume the the final product. And and truthfully, Mm. commercial publishing is extremely fragmented in many ways. You have a million departments. The jobs are very, very specialized. And even there at close range, my office was right next to the editorial department, and I did not envy them. You know, to work in commercial publishing as an editor is to do an awful lot of copy editing uh, forever and ever. Amen. I mean, it's like you stare at a screen all day. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There's not a lot of freedom there. You're working on projects that are assigned... Um, depends on who your publishing company is. At the time, we were doing tech uh, books for McGraw-Hill, mm-hmm. software and hardware. <laughs> well, mm. that was oh. not exactly glamorous. Um, <laughs> no. no. Dull as dishwater, but <laughs> somebody had to do it. My the, My fondest memories of that job as a production assistant were to carry the box of boards, which weighed about 20 pounds, you know, because this is all cut and we're still doing pay stubs mm-hmm. in the very, very early 80s, running down to the shipping department, yelling, it's a book, it's a book. Aw, that's and so cool. Shipping that out to the printing company as a 20 pound box of boards. That, yeah. That was the big joke. It's a, it's a book, it's a book.
3: Yeah, it's that level of excitement. Uh, so when, when was the turning point when you decided that you wanted to strike out on your own?
0: Well, the turning point was really moving north from San Francisco Bay Area to Sonoma, where I now live. and It's a much smaller, you know, city. Well, barely a city. There's only 15,000 people in Sonoma. And, uh, you know, there were not many jobs up here at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, very few jobs. I would have to commute. So I just started looking around and I said, hey, I've got all this trade skill. I've got a computer, I know how to use it, and I'm just going to find my way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I knew how to create printed products. I started doing a little freelance work by doing resumes for people, uh, marketing brochures. I started doing a little electronic pre-press and page layouts for people. And then one day, I don't know, I think I read something in a magazine or saw something that convinced me that I was going to go into the greeting card business. I said, I've got a little computer on my desk, and I know how to use it, and I'm (laughs) going to start a greeting card company. Hmm. And so I did, and I ran it for 15 years. And uh, it was really a literary greeting card company called Paper Lantern. And I started with the bookstore um, market because I felt that, you know, they had a lot of sidelines and were selling a lot of non book products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because they were literary lines, I thought, Hey, that's a good market match. And that's how I began.
3: And that's amazing.
0: I would say after 15 years, I'd say about 30% of my market was bookstores independent bookstores all across mm-hmm.
1: the Yeah, and I can I can think of that. I mean, back in the day when there were the more in, of the independent bookstores, I can actually picture in my mind walking in and not everything was books. Sure you had the books on the shelves, but you also had these little thinner display things, I'm sure those have a name, but I can imagine what you're talking about being oh, on yeah. one of those for sure.
0: Oh yeah, and it's big because the independent bookstores really book margins are very small uh, mm-hmm. i had a, i had a bookseller once say to me we sell books because we love them we sell <laughs> sidelines to keep paying the rent
3: Hmm. yeah <laughs> that sounds right <laughs> a little sad but true yeah it is um so so how did how did cards uh evolve into um self-publishing and consulting well,
0: There I am uh, running my greeting card business. Of course, Mm -hmm. everybody's always fascinated by these things. And so people would talk Mm -hmm. to me about it. But I I actually joined a collage group, a collage studio here in Sonoma, just sort of as a recreational thing. And I thought, oh, I'll go meet a few people because I've just moved up to Sonoma. And I went there and I stayed for six years. (laughs) Oh, and it worked out it was it was the sort of thing that it was the work was so engaging and so fascinating to me that I ended up writing a book about it. I said, what? this is unbelievable. I really need to tell people about this. I need to tell them how art can be used for self development mm. mm-hmm. and discovery yeah. and how how collage itself is a wonderful tool for creativity because you are putting disparate or different combinations together. And it's at those intersections that you are creating something new Mm. and kind of my head exploded. And I felt like I Mm. went from playing, you know, checkers to three-dimensional chess and the creativity, it just really kind of uh, ballooned my creativity exponentially
1: you might get an appreciation for this. My mom was, she was an art teacher for 30 years and one of the projects that she would do, she would amongst the fact that every year she would have a new theme based on art from a different part of the world. But one of the cool things that she did every year was actually make a quilt that was constructed of work from the students and putting it together and I'm not quite sure because one's gonna be paper, but then you transfer it to cloth. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, there was this prints of these, and then she was she'd make them all into a quilt, and that would be a representation of that specific class that went through. And That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. And there's mm-hmm. just thinking back now, I'm like, that quilt was a representation of those kids going through, you know, elementary. So <laughs>
3: So it's, it sounds like, so you, you wanted to publish this book and, and make this statement and it went well. Um, you were a finalist, uh, for a couple of awards with this book. And, um, Mm -hmm. uh, so I can imagine maybe was there this like light bulb moment of, this is a fantastic way to speak to an audience, tell a story. And I want to do it more. How do I do it more? I have all this knowledge. Perhaps I could coach. And, and consult with other authors.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of how it happened. But it was, it was very organic because when my book came out, uh, all the people at the collage studio knew I was doing the book because I interviewed different artists and they were in the mm-hmm. book. So everybody knew this was happening. But when it came out, I think I just blew them away because people were not expecting the quality. They had seen self-published books before, and you have to remember this was 11 years ago. So they were thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be a cute little book. And when they saw it, they could not believe the professional quality of the book because I really went to town. I put a lot of time, attention, and money into it. And, you know, you were talking about crowdfunding earlier. I raised $11,000 for the printing of the book it was full color, of course, because it had color images in it. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, chose heavier paper stock so there wouldn't be any show through of inks from other other images and other pages. And I had full flaps, French flaps that cost more and add to the quality of the book. And I also had it offset lithography printed overseas and the wow. printer does Smythe sewing and gluing on the signatures. So it's a really well-made book. It's gorgeous. Aww. And people people loved it. And that's what happened is they came to me and they were like, oh, my God, you self-published this? Oh, my God.
3: Yeah. It's- <laughs> and so
0: then they wanted to know how. And I said, well, I've been mm. in the printing and publishing business my whole career. If I couldn't do this right, I'd have to <laughs> give it up. Uh, but people were thrilled and they were like oh my god and so then people started asking me will you could you help me right i have an idea i have a thing mm-hmm. and so i just started talking to people and then also because i had already brought out my collage book i had done 30 events in 2 years for the collage book and i really learned how to make contacts how to get gigs how to do presentations how to teach Uh, at various venues. Um, And so I realized that all of those things were connected, and I could market my book, and I could market a second book. And so after coaching people and starting to do that, I realized I needed a system. And that's why I wrote the self-publisher's book plan, because I systemized it in a step-by-step process and made it as simple as possible because there's so much information out there. I've seen books that are over 400 pages of how to self-publish. Wow. Am I really going to do that? No, I don't think so. I think that's the, I think that's the main problem with people learning how to self-publish is there's way too much information out there and a lot of it doesn't apply to you.
3: (laughs) Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a great point. Um, as far as coaching goes in general, it's choosing what you're an expert in and then finding somebody who is an expert in whatever you need in order to make it better or bigger or whatever. So Mm -hmm. like if I'm an author and I'm an expert in either something, and so I'm writing nonfiction or I'm writing fiction, I'm an expert in writing and prose, et cetera. It's a read a 400 page book about self-publishing is asking me to become an expert in something that I don't necessarily need be. exactly
0: and that's right. why exactly. your role is so
3: important you you filter it all you distill it yeah. all down and you only tell them what they need to know yeah
0: exactly um, and then you don't overwhelm people because as you know with all this digital material these days we're all feeling overwhelmed <laughs> you bet <laughs> but you know just as a little backstory for the self-publisher's book plan um one of the things I teach and I tell people when they're trying to put together a book
2: Mm -hmm.
0: is to choose book models. And a lot of people go, what do you mean book models? Am I copying something? What am I doing? And I say, no, what you want to do is think of a book that really moved you, a book that Mm -hmm. you loved, a book that taught you something, a book that is just, you know, memorable to you. Mm -hmm. Go and look at those books that mean something to you. Take them apart. And see how the story is told. Is it told in first person, third person? Are there action steps in it? Uh, Mm -hmm. What do you like about it? What is it about the construction and the telling of the story that moves you and that you like? What is it you like? Mm -hmm. And then find a book that you can model your book after. For instance, my Living Into Art collage book I was looking for a way to tell the story, and I had read another book called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist, and it was one of the best books I had read about money. And I kind of looked at it, and I said, well, how come it's so intriguing? What's so good about it? And it was like, because Lynn, the author, traveled around the world raising money for UNICEF, as she was a fundraiser. And she said that doing that changed her whole life because it changed Mm -hmm. her idea of value and worth and what money really means to people all over the world. And so she came back and she wrote a book about it. And it was sort of like she was our guide in the book, but she really was writing about all these experiences and people and all this other stuff. And I thought, that's kind of the way I want to write my story. I sort of fell into the collage studio and it transformed my life.
3: Yeah.
0: How can I tell that story? Yeah. And that's so a- the book model is kind of a way to approach beginning your book. hmm
3: Absolutely. I did a little bit of that myself without realizing it. Well, I realized it, but I didn't, you know, I never called it something. I just... You didn't make it conscious
0: and, yeah. and really, you know...
3: Yeah. I looked at these books that were also doing story vignettes, like what should I do with my life? Or it's only slow food until you eat it. And there these, there these, <laughs> they, they're funny and they're totally off topic as to what my book was about, but right. they're still other, they're, they're an author vignetting experiences, interviews with others and putting them together True. in a cohesive way. And that's what I needed to do.
0: Exactly. And that's something that a lot of people should do when they're going to write a book, especially if it's their first yeah, book. any topic. And I had one gentleman say to me, I, when I suggested he he read books in his genre and choose book models, he said, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want mine to be totally unique. Yeah. And I just <laughs> thought that was pretty misguided because really... if you don't know the soup you're swimming in,
3: mm-hmm. you know, exactly. you, you just don't
0: exactly. know what's out there. You're not sure what's out there
3: until you look. So this is a fantastic lesson um, to our listeners who are interested in writing. Um, What like what do you feel is the biggest mistake that authors are making as they're as they're trying to start out or like what like what should authors be aware of as they're trying to like enter the publishing space?
0: Yeah, I think if they're going to, if they really want to write to publish, I mean, you know, a lot of people Mm. journal and write for themselves, and that's extremely healing and wonderful work, and I'm all for it. But if you're going to publish, you know, basically, the word publish is from the Latin, to make public. And if you're going to enter the public sphere you really should understand what's out there and what arena you are entering. And so a lot of times the biggest mistake that first-time self-publishers make is they just don't make a plan. They just sit down <laughs> and and feel like writing because it feels good. And, mm. you know, they they don't plan ahead. And so a lot of different pieces build on each other. And they do things out of order. They spend money where they don't need to. And so you really need to sit down and make a plan.
2: Mm-hmm. It
0: saves you a whole lot of time. And truthfully, you know, if you go with a mentor or a guide, you're going to avoid a whole lot of conflicting, weird information on Google. You don't <laughs> want to go there. Uh, find a guide or a mentor who can simplify it for you and aim you in the right direction. So make a mm-hmm. plan. And by doing that, you're going to save money. And you're also going to have confidence because I've, believe me, and it happened to me too. uh, I was looking for an editor. And when the editor I wanted kind of passed because she didn't have time, I was like really distraught. I was looking for an editor for like three months. I could not find an editor. And I was feeling like, oh, I just realized I felt like I was all alone out there. You know, Mm -hmm. didn't have an editor, didn't have a sounding board, didn't have anybody helping me with my work. Yeah. And, you know, if you have a plan and you know where you're going and you've got a guide or a mentor who has helped you along the way, it gives you total confidence and you don't have to wonder when you get out of bed in the morning, gee, now what am I going to do? What am I supposed to be doing? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's more of a it's more of a of a step by step process where you know what you're supposed to be doing next. And it's not rocket science. It's not difficult or complex. It's just a lot of little moving parts mm. and a lot of little things. And then of course there's the conflicting information on Google. But, you know, truthfully, (laughs) if you went to if you you, having been in the printing business for so long, I mean, I ran into this situation all the time. If you want to create a marketing piece and you go out to 10 different printers for 10 different bids, you're going to get 10 different prices. Yeah, Mm. they all do it differently. They tell you different things and it's all a matter of what equipment they have and what they're printing on and how they do business. And so, a lot of times, people will, will also choose a designer before they choose their printer. And that is a very bad thing to do because your printer is going to give you the specifications to design to. Your designer needs that information. Mm-hmm. So, some people will just say, Oh, well, gee, you know, I hadn't finished editing the book yet, but my designer's designing it. And you're like, No, don't do that. I, ha- I actually had a client who kept copy editing as her designer was designing. And I said, don't do that, because every time you give her a new copy, it's going to cause text reflows, and your page layouts are going to get all messed up, and Mm -hmm. you're going to make a million mistakes.
2: You're
0: going to have to start over again. (laughs) But she, you know, wasn't really listening to that. (laughs) And so anyway, there's a lot of little things that go on step by step by step. And it's not rocket science, but you should know through planning yeah. what you're going to do and that's basically why i wrote the book it's so to to help people to get their thoughts and their plans in order so they can be successful and create a professional quality book
1: nice and a lot of this you actually do have a free guide if people want to kind of start jumping in and see what you're all about you do have a yeah. free guide that that does an outline of, of some of this this stuff that you're just talking about oh yeah that's over at your uh, website again self publisher book plan right
0: it's actually plural self publishers dot com gotcha. nice. yeah, and you know the 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 free guide is right at the top of the website, and it does give a lot of information uh all the steps from uh developing your manuscript to planning production to book launch to marketing. And also I have a special PDF for budgeting because a lot of people don't know how much it costs to self-publish. And I think it's scary to them because they think, oh my God, I'm going to get into thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, but it doesn't have to. And the book budget that I offer as, as a PDF gives you sort of a range. It says, okay, if you're going to get a developmental editor, how much would that cost for an average-sized book? Mm. And how do they work? And how do you find them? You know, there's all kinds of uh, things that I have accrued over time, resources, websites, links, all kinds of stuff that would take people too long to find. And also, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people who are going on sites like Upwork and Fiverr. Not to say that I'm down talking these sites, but I would not go on those sites to find a professional book editor because that's not where they hang out. They hang out at in other places, and you have to know how to find them and you have to know what kinds of databases they're in, where they offer their work, and how to evaluate an editor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So- and that goes for, you know, that goes for designers as well.
1: So in other words, you got a bit of a a, a list of uh, editors you trust, or where you can find editors you trust. Yes, right? <laughs> I have.
0: I have. It's re- It's really the resources. Yeah. That take so much time to research.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, that's 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 really cool because you know, I, being a content producer myself, and and when I say producer, I mean like producer producer, not the the person that puts the content together. You know, and and knowing people that know certain things. You know i know people that can do videos i know people that can do podcasting including myself that can help people but when it comes to writing a book there's so many different people that i know online that's like oh you got to do it this way no you got to do it this way no you got to get involved yeah. with a, a a self or self-publication place mm-hmm. you know that will help you do all the steps no get a coach i mean there's just so many different ways <laughs> oh i know
0: there are a lot of ways to slice it and you know i have to say one of my favorite quotes is why do something well that should not be done at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think there's too many people out there doing a lot of legwork and a lot of busy work and a lot of stuff and it doesn't have to be that way it doesn't it's most of it's unnecessary people worry about things that they don't even need to deal with uh you know, I I work with nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why is obviously it's a whole different animal than writing a novel or a fiction piece. And even the marketing and the platforms are completely different. It's a completely different animal. And I like nonfiction because I've read I'm a nonfiction reader and writer myself. Right, That's right. my specialty. That's what I love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's just easier to work with people who are in the same genre who have the same goals who are in sync with you and you've been there and you've done that and you can you can help them yeah and a lot of people who have their own businesses have their own websites their speakers their educators they do keynotes they do all kinds of stuff and most of them already have a marketing marketing channel set up for their services and their products so adding a book to that is not a big big stretch for them. Yeah. Right. And that's always helpful because you know, some people think getting into bookstores is just their the goal of of their whole existence. I need my book to be in a bookstore. <laughs> I
3: understand. And you know,
0: there's a certain kind of ego gratification to that, but on the other hand, it's a very difficult channel to crack and they don't they don't buy a lot. I mean, bookstores today, they buy onesie twosies of a book. They wait for it to sell through and will they reorder? Maybe they'll probably forget or they won't, or that didn't sell through fast enough, or they have some imagined litmus test for what your book needs to do for them. Um, You can have, I, yeah, it was the same thing with greeting cards. I could have greeting cards in a bookstore that sell out in six weeks and would they reorder? they're sitting there with empty spaces and they're not reordering and books that s- they should really track you know the sell through and then reorder that's how you sell stuff but yeah. unfortunately i've been you know i've been to publishing conferences where the publishers are sitting in the audience complaining about the bookstores cuz they're they're not keeping up <laughs> It's not because it's not because they think their book is the best better best thing in the world or better than sliced bread, it's because the booksellers are overwhelmed and they're very busy and they may not just get to efficiencies in their ordering systems. So you're kind of fighting the system really.
1: Mhm.
0: And not to mention the the distributors.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that that comes to mind is, like I was saying, all these different people that are giving you different ideas that you have to pay attention to. You know, one of the the biggest things is that you have to have a plan on becoming the, the, you know, Amazon bestseller and and things like this. And it's just like, okay, if that's, are you trying to put a message out or are you trying to become a bestseller? Because if you're trying to be a bestseller, that's completely different than putting out a good piece of work and, I you know that yeah. there's definitely more of a formula to that that bestseller thing.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but it really depends on whose list you're paying attention to. I mean, <clears throat> Jeff Bezos and Amazon would like you to think that, you know, being a number one bestseller in a category of a category of a category of a category is like a really great thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, all you're really doing is putting money in his pocket because every time you sell a book, he makes as much money as you do. Mm. Or probably more after he's manufactured the thing as a P.O.D., Mm. print-on-demand book. I mean, you know, Amazon does not give anything away, trust me. And they, I think they sell that bestseller thing because they're appealing to people's egos. And so, oh, yeah, I can paste that on my book. I was an Amazon bestseller for one day and one minute on, you know, May 16th. It's just it's it's ridiculous, and not only that, but nobody can guarantee a bestseller. Not even the CEO of of you know Harper Collins. I mean, they don't. Nobody knows what's going to sell until it sells. Mm. <laughs> yeah. They don't. They really don't. I mean, you know that's why the film industry and the book industry, the big industries, the big five and big multimedia companies keep doing sequels and
1: yeah, you know, yeah.
0: Tr- people are all trying to write the next Harry Potter.
1: Well, and she's and she herself <laughs> is failing miserably at trying to recreate that that magic in the in the new series. It's just
0: yeah, you know, I think it only happens once in a life. Yeah, it's kind of a lightning strike. Yeah, yeah. Eat, pray, love anybody?
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, even like with Jar Jar Martin, he wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and was just a flop his whole life until he finally struck the Game of Thrones. You know. There you go. Well, that happens. It's magical moment. Yeah. Yeah. And you know,
0: one of the things I try to do when I work with people is to set them up for reasonable expectations. Mm -hmm. And we talk about goals and objectives at the beginning. What are your goals and objectives for your book? You know, if somebody says to me, I want to be a number one New York Times bestseller, I'm walking. (laughs) 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 Because why? Because I want them to go. Yeah. If you're going to do that, you're going to need a whole lot of big names and connections like, oh, get on Oprah or, you know, mm-hmm. the Daily Show. I mean, whatever you're you, people don't don't make those lists unless they are hitting a nerve. And truthfully, I think there's a lot of. um nepotism going on in, you know, the New York, certainly the New York publishing scene. <laughs> right.
1: Well, and and, with, and what you're bringing up is is that there's a huge difference between, again, that you're talking about self-publishing.
0: Yes, there's a big, huge difference.
1: Versus getting into the publishing world where you have to create a pitch. And then once you do the pitch, then you have an agent, then you can, you know, use the network. Maybe
0: get a publisher.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And then when you get a publisher, they're going to be in some some level of control, you, you'll you have to buy your books from them, mm-hmm. and you're going to have to pay more money than you would have paid if you had done your own book as a POD. You're probably going to pay twice as much because they don't let the books go at cost. No, they they charge you the same price they charge their resellers. <laughs> so you're going to pay more for your books. They're not going to give you much free at all. They're not going to nah. give you a whole lot of... um marketing or sales help. I mean, these days you get thrown in somebody's catalog and, you know, booksellers or people have to seek it out. And, you know, the the days of sales reps are way gone and way over. Nobody's going to be checking up on your book for you from your publishing company. They want you to do the work. And as a matter of fact, probably your contract will you know, have your skin in the game, and you will make agreements to spend so many dollars to do your mar- your own marketing because mm-hmm. they don't they don't really do that much for you. Yeah, and mm-hmm. every author has to know that in advance. Is I mean, even very very intelligent people. I had a client who told me, well, he was sort of a client. He started with me and took a couple of classes at a bookstore, and then he went on his own. And he's a very bright guy, really good with technology. And amazing what he, you know, all the venues and places he got himself booked into. But later he told me, he said, you know, I didn't know I was starting a business.
3: Yes. And yes. I said, well,
0: surprise, because guess what? If you're the author, you're not going to have a magic carpet ride provided from by someone else. You are going to have to go out and sell your own books. And that's a shock yeah. to some people.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I talk about entrepreneurial authorship all the time, because it's basically what self-publishing is. You have to have your own platform and beat the pavement yourself or hire the people who can help you do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And if you hire publicity or marketing people, it's going to cost. I mean, yep. it's not a cheap endeavor. I mean, occasionally you might find a, somebody to do something, uh, to do some targeted marketing for you for a short period of time. Uh, that might be affordable. But overall, yeah, you you really can't hire somebody to do your book marketing for you because you're going to go broke.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Unless you have, of course, a lot of other products and services and your book is, you know, an advertising tool of sorts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can afford it because you've got cash flow from your products and services. Right. <laughs> because the books themselves, I, I usually tell people, you know, very few people make money selling books. Yep. You're going to make money selling your product. This we're talking nonfiction. You're probably gonna sell sell more of your products and services and make more money that way. Well,
1: and that's that's why Brendan Bouchard all of his books are free for the most part. They're the front of his, sure. his sales funnel. And you know? also exactly. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting once you get into the, the entire uh, strategy of it. But
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, When you bring that up, the only other thing I wanted to say is with people, you know, that I work with, it's like you really want to avoid making an infomercial book Mm. (laughs) or an advertorial. I mean, you know, some people, they write their book and it's sort of like, oh, my God, it's it's you have to realize nobody cares about you and they don't care about your book. All they care is what it can give them and what it can do for the reader. Mm. They don't want to know about your background. They don't want to know about you that much. They want to know what you can do for them. Yeah. And for instance, here's a little quiz. Think of a book that you really loved reading recently. Can you remember or do you know the name of the publisher?
1: Not the name of the publisher, but I know the author.
0: (laughs) See, there you go. And that's what happens. People don't know the name of the of the publishing company. And when I published my books, I published them under my company name, my imprint, which was Paper Lantern. Mm-hmm. So nobody, nobody knows it's self-published. Why would they have to know that? They're going to have to ask. Right. Uh, as long as it's professionally produced and it's good quality, I just represent the book because I wrote it. And if they want to ask about the publisher, they can. But most people don't.
3: No, they really don't.
1: So what, what are you excited about in the future as you're ramping up into 2019 now?
0: Well, I'm really excited about doing some, uh, leading some groups online who have interesting, innovative ideas. Um, something I've, I've learned is, you know, we see the stress and anxiety and the polarization in our world right now due to all kinds of crises and climate control and politics and all that. And I really think that changes come from society and individual people and in, in in individual communities. It's like you you think of that, that young girl who's the 13-year-old Swedish girl who who is now, you know, has a huge platform worldwide mm-hmm. to talk about climate change. Mm-hmm. Well I think self publishers and people who are professional speakers and involved in various industries are doing that. I've talked to so many people who are interested in artificial intelligence and uh, youth advocacy and grief counseling. And I mean, it goes the whole gamut from everything. And I think that it's the people who are bubbling up from the ranks and file of society who are bringing new ideas to the fore and they're bringing the intersections of various industries and ideas together in new ways and mm-hmm. that I think is what's fueling change and so I'm really excited to work with people who are doing that and especially women who whose voices have been marginalized or who haven't had the confidence to put their ideas out there and so I'm really excited to amplify women's voices and add to our current solutions, because I think that, uh, you know, women have not been really invited to the table in a big way. And so I think what we need to do is put our voices out there and just start creating it. Uh, you know, there, there was a, a woman on Oprah uh, Dr. Tara Rye Trent, who wrote a book, Awakening Woman, and she was very poverty stricken in Africa, living in her small village, when some women came and did some workshops with their group. And it was the first time in her life anybody ever asked her what she wanted to do Uh. or what her dreams were. And she ended up saying, I want to go to university in America. I want to learn. I want to be educated. Mm. And so she did. In the long run, she ended up going to university in the United States, and she ran back into that woman who asked her what her dreams were. And the woman runs the Heifer Project, Mm -hmm. which basically raises money to help people in third world countries to Uh, raise money through livestock and taking care of their animals and selling them. Mm. And it was like, you know, a random chance meeting as a young person to say, what are your dreams? And to realize somebody actually cared. And so she wrote this book, Awakening Woman, which basically says, we've been limping along on one wing people, let the women in. We have ideas, we have energy, we care about life. And this is the secret weapon that is now awakening in the world to help us solve our social problems and our issues of today.
3: Yeah, cool. I agree.
0: So that's what I'm excited about. It makes me feel like I'm I'm sort of, uh, you know, putting my shoulder to the wheel to to keep that in motion, to keep it turning, to keep it progressing.
1: Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, to uh, wrap things up a bit, I want to get into the rapid fire question segment. First question. Three top favorite books you gift or uh, tell others about.
0: Um, well, Awakening Woman by Dr. Terror I Trent, I think, is a really great book uh, because I think it's incredibly inspiring. Um, the Biology of Belief is another one. Uh, trying to think of the author's name Uh, it's he's really the father of epigenetics and I'm really excited about neurobiology and epigenetics I think it's really a cool topic for how we can change our world and wake up Um, and let me see if I one more book what what would that be I guess that's kind of it, is, is really like totally getting into neurobiology and science these days.
3: Mm. Okay. What is one gift that you like giving others, other than books? <laughs> Gifts I like, I like giving people, this is
0: one thing I've been doing is giving people homemade cards. And usually what I do is I'll go grab a magazine cover off of the internet, like Vanity Fair. And mm-hmm. I'll put my friend's picture on it and then put a fake headline <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and send them a birthday card with them on the cover of Vanity Fair. That's cute. Because <laughs> it's original. I like making yeah. things, yeah. you know, or I'll send them a collage. It's usually something that I've made because, you know, tchotchkes, I mean, you know, what do you give, give somebody these days that's going to have real meaning?
1: What is something that you wish was still a thing or still popular today?
0: Uh, Face-to-face communication and dial, real real conversation and dialogue.
3: Mm. It's Mm. kind of a dying art. Mm. What's one thing every high school student must know?
0: I think really is um, learning social etiquette and behaviors so you know how to get along with other people.
1: But and not right. and not staring down at a screen. What what is this? What?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And oh, showing up for your job. Actually, I was just talking to a friend. Oh, of mine God. who runs a restaurant, and she she can't find anybody to take over her restaurant because the young people don't want to be trained. They don't want to work, and they're barely accountable. <laughs> she can't find anybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. That is one of the yeah. things that you know. I I know that we were talking about generation being very enlightened but a lot Mm -hmm. of them have a lot of these built-in addictions and issues because of the fact that they've grown up around technology as much as they have too so Mm
3: -hmm. yeah there's definitely a balance to be struck and that's my next work
0: there you go i'm looking forward to that
1: how can someone be a difference maker in their community
0: well Don't wait for somebody to give you the green light. Just take it. Mm. Follow your passion. Don't wait for others to validate your opinions. Just take it. Mm.
1: Love that. Love that. Well, Lindsay, thank you again for uh, spending some time with us today. Again, you can be found at selfpublishersbookplan.com. That's with an S. Yes. That's with an S. Yep. <laughs> um,
0: yep. No hyphens. No any. No apostrophes. No hyphens. Just plain old selfpublishersbookplan.com. dot com.
1: And mm-hmm. uh, if people want to connect you with you personally, is that the best way? Or are you on the socials at all? Or
0: I'm on Facebook. Okay. Uh, under Lindsay Whiting and Self Publish- Publishers Book Plan, I've got my personal page and my my business page. And I'm also on LinkedIn.
2: Great.
1: Well, thank you again so much. It was a, it was a pleasure. And uh, yeah, definitely a lot of good information that I don't think people know too much about. But I'm glad that you were able to wrap it up.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
1: So there you guys have it. If you're thinking about writing a book and need some help from someone that knows her way through the publishing world, then Lindsay is certainly someone you should get in contact with. And if you want to take this conversation further, I have a couple of videos of her going a little bit deeper into some of the subjects we talked about today. One of the things we did discuss was the importance of finding people who can help you do particular things. Well, one of those items is designing what your book is going to look like. And so in the first video, Lindsay talks about how important this really is and why it might be outsourced. Next up, we'd also talked about how if you're a new author, you should really consider using a book model to help you write your own, and this second video shares with us how to exactly do that. Then again, in the conversation, we talked about the importance of doing marketing for your book, and coincidentally, Veronica is just about to start her traveling book tour. So as a bit of a celebration of that, I wanted to feature some videos of hers in the show note extras, and both are videos of additional work she did to help promote her book after it was released, a TEDx talk, as well as a short documentary. So be sure to check those out via the show notes at newinceptions.com 157. That being said, that's it for session 157. Again, if you really want to make an income doing work that matters to you, check out Fizzle. Start for free by visiting newinceptions.com slash F-I-Z-Z-L-E. Again, that's newinceptions.com slash Fizzle. Thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today. As always, we appreciate you guys listening in. Until next session, dig in, have fun, and take care in whatever you're creating. And we'll see you back here next time.
2: Thanks for listening to the Angles of Latitude podcast. Connect with us at home, at work, or on the go. At facebookcom newinceptions. on Twitter at NewInceptions, Instagram at New.Inceptions, and on the web. At newinceptions.com